You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks podcast collective. Ian, look at this. What, it's a police box. What on earth is he doing here? Hey, these things are usually on the street. I feel it. I feel it, you feel it. Vibration. It's alive. Earth Station Who, the fun mashup celebrating nearly 50 years of the Doctor Who universe. Hold tight. You never know where the TARDIS is going next. You're probably a bit confused right now. I broke the glass. It's all come back to me. This. What is this? That's my ship. Let me take it from the top. Hello. I'm the doctor. I'm a traveler in space and time. And that thing buried down there is called a TARDIS. Time and relative dimension in space. You're gonna love this. Hey there, listeners. It's time to take a flight on the Concorde and travel back to prehistoric times, I guess. It was prehistoric times. A long, long time ago on a planet we know pretty darn well. It was time flight going back into the 1980s, and we are going to the end of season 19 of Doctor Who. It'll be a fun story to talk all about, and we have a great crew to join in. Of course, we have Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! You ready for a little adventure into the past, sir? Uh, you know what? Uh, this is early '80s, um, so and it and it reeks of it. Oh, very much so. And Mary Ogle. Hi, everybody! It is great to be here. Oh, it's going to be a fun one to talk about. And we are joined from formerly of Concaster Burris, Matthew Kressel. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, everybody! And it been too is too long, sir. It has been way too long, actually. It has been a minute. Yes, it. Yes, it has. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we were on another doctor the last time you were here. <laughs> but that, you know, that's a whole. That could be any time, wibbly wobbly timey. You know, yep. you know how it goes. So, how have you been? Have you been surviving the pandemic and everything? Yeah, I've I've been doing fairly well. It's been a it's been a very interesting year. Um. I've been doing a lot of writing, so I've got some short fiction that's due out. Um, I've got a not at all related to Doctor Who novel, hopefully due out later this year, that I actually wrote a couple of years back. But the pandemic gave me a good excuse to go find a publisher for it and do some work on it. And I had my first nonfiction book published. So, you know. Oh, it's, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, it it has been a year, but hasn't it been for everybody? Well, you've been pretty steady with those uh, reviews coming out almost weekly uh, that you're posting to the uh, Earth Station U Facebook group. Yes, I, you know, it's been an interesting year for as a big Finnish fan as well, and you know, going back and watching Classic Who and New Who as well. So it's you know, there's definitely enough to to keep me busy over on Warp Factor. So for people who haven't read any of my work, if you can, uh, if you go over to WarpFactor.com, I am probably somewhere on the front page. Ooh. Well, that is awesome, man. That is really, really awesome. Congratulations on all that, though. Thank you, sir. It's been great. So 
he's been productive over the last year. What have we all done? You know? So, you know, thanks just for making us. Yeah, exactly. We've been just talking about <laughs> Doctor Who. Uh, and so there's no new real Doctor Who news to talk about, but, you know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Feedback at earthstationwho.com. Definitely let us know what's going on, how you guys are surviving. What have you guys been, you know, dealing with? What have you guys been, you know, watching, talking about? What Doctor Who have you been, you know, catching up on? Because you've had a lot of time between Doctor Who episodes, so there's plenty of time to catch up. So definitely would love to hear from you. And, you know, if you're new to the podcast, thank you. Thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate it. All right. Like we said earlier, no new Doctor Who news. So we are going to jump right back to 1982. That's right, folks. We are looking at oof, March 22nd, 1982 to March 30th. So I think this is the era when Doctor Who was on twice a week at the time. Yes. If I remember correctly. And so you got this over with real quick. So you got the four, <laughs> the four episodes. Just you had. like ripping a bandaid off. <laughs> exactly. Seemed like forty million years. You know, and this one, you know, had you know, it was stacked because you had Earthshock right before this one, and that you this story literally picks up right after Earthshock, and then this is the end of the nineteenth season, and it goes right into the twentieth season, which is the big anniversary year where they tried, you know regaining a lot of interest with Doctor Who and each storyline had either a character from the past or a villain from the past that hasn't been seen in a while coming back. Yeah. So it was interesting to see where this, how this one fits into that. And you got a master story out of it also, which is nice because you actually had the master in disguise and, you know, ripping off the mask and everything. And it's like, and the first time I saw this, I had no clue that the master was in it. So I didn't either. Like, this I is didn't the first either. time I've seen this. Yeah, and I, I, and I didn't I, either. And I, I was I was surprised. As we got to that second episode, sort of the end of it, I was like, wow, this seems to be wrapping up. I'm like, I, I know there's two more episodes, but this seems, this seems to be like they're defeating the bad guy. And then, nope, the mask comes <laughs> off and we hear that all too familiar laugh. <laughs> You're a fool, doctor. It's like, it's like oh, yeah. The naivety, and you know, I've I've always been fascinated with the Concord, and you know, the idea of this the Concord featuring in these stories was pretty awesome. I actually got to see, uh, growing up outside of Washington D.C., I got to see the Concord land multiple times at Dulles Airport, and it was beautiful to see. It was a really sharp looking airplane and its engines didn't sound like any other commercial flight you ever heard. Cause you know, when it was flying overhead, you know, they couldn't do over land. They couldn't, you know, supersonic flights because of the sonic boom, but it still had a distinct sound to the engines. And it was, it was a neat experience. And you know, yeah, it wasn't used all that great in this episode. No. <laughs> well, it shows up every epi every every episode. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's there in one yeah. way or another. There, there's even two of them. Yeah, <laughs> and they leave one of them in the past. Yes, <laughs> one of them they just yeah. leave behind. Yeah, yeah. Though they almost didn't. It's one of the great behind the scenes story of this is that uh, Peter Grimblade who wrote the episode did the whole thing and it got commissioned and everything. 
without anybody ever going to British Airways to ask for permission to use it. And British oh, Airways, what? Yeah, um, British Airways got the script, and John Nathan Turner tells a story in his memoirs, which are available as an audiobook from Big Finish for people who haven't heard them. They're a wonderful insight into the making of uh, late seventies and eighties Doctor Who. And there's a story John Nathan Turner tells that they were at a meeting and the British Airways people are sitting there going through the script saying, you've got to change this, you've got to change that. And they're sort of pontificating and going, you know, we really don't want to do this. And John Nathan Turner figured out the perfect way to get them to do it, which is he leaned over to whoever his assistant was at the meeting and just a little too loudly said, so what time are we meeting with the Air France people? (laughs) <laughs> and, at, and at that point british airways tune almost completely changed um to the point they got a concord on the ground they got unlimited stock footage uh the british airways people even sent over models of the concord that ended up in the episode um so it's it's kind of funny to think that they basically commissioned a whole story around the concord before anybody thought to get permission to actually you know, should well, British Airways actually let us film on the Concorde? And yeah, they actually exactly. Did film in Heathrow, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean that that looked familiar. I, I've only been to Heathrow once, but well, twice because I got I, I arrived and then I came back. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. I've I've been to Heathrow just flying in and out of because I had to do a usability study down in Wales. So we flew into Heathrow and then took a small plane down to down to Cardiff. Mm-hmm. So it was, but it was interesting because you actually got real airport scenes and then the rest was just like, Bleh. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was actually kind of fun and nostalgic to see the Concorde. I mean, it's funny that it's, you know, represents the epitome of technology in, in the eighties as they're representing it. And now it's gone. <laughs> I mean, there's already over. Oh god, yeah. No, that was a sad ending too to that also. Yeah. But it was it was neat to see. I did like the flight crew on the Doctor's Concord. They they oh, were the pre- captain. The captain was pretty awesome. Captain Stapley. He was actually yeah. yeah he was actually one of the only decent Le- characters. <laughs> well, the other exactly. Ones were pretty blah. Oh god, yeah. They're really you know. And I love how the doctor pulled the unit card in this one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, I yes. thought that was, that was cool. That, that mm. was good. Oh, limit, you know, say hi to the brigadier for me. Oh, he might be a general by now. You know? Yes. <laughs> well, it's like, pretty funny. It's, it's part of that trend that started the previous season, I think, because Ian Levine had been brought in as the unofficial official continuity person. That the show is suddenly beginning to realize, hey, we've got a... 17, 18 year history that we can go back into and pull stuff from as we go. Cause it's the point where you start getting all those kinds of little references and stuff. And going back to what you were saying earlier, Mike, you know, starting with earth shock in the last story, you know, all the way to warriors of the deep, which is the beginning of, you know, not the next season, but the season after every single story, every single episode we're going to watch is going to have some kind of returning villain or element in it. And it's kind of weird to think that time flight fits into that. Even more so because Peter Grimwade, again, wrote the whole story before somebody sat up and went, hey, let's put the master in this while we're at it. But mm-hmm. that that seems to be the story of a lot of 80s Who, you know, that with these master stories that 
no, it's people would come into the office with stories, and then all of a sudden, John Nathan Turner or somebody would sit up and go, "Hey, we haven't done a master story in a while. Let, let's put, let's see if Anthony Ainley is available and see if we could put him in." Um, oh, exactly, because yeah. you think, you know, if you go back and think about it, you think, "Oh, Ainley's master popped up all the time during the Fifth Doctor's era," but mm. he didn't really, because the only time you saw him was in Castrovelva before this. Yeah. And then you had this episode, and then after this, you don't see him till I think the Five Doctors. King's Demons comes in between. Oh, King's Demons! That's yeah. right. When they get uh, that stupid robot. Yeah, it, it's it, you, you know, Don't feel bad for forgetting it. King's Demon is a forgettable story if ever there was one. <laughs> oh, we reviewed it. We know. We know. Yeah, that's why we forgot it. Exactly. But I mean, this one's pretty forgettable too. Frankly, I mean, it, it is not. A very well-written story, and you can tell that they slotted the master in at the last minute. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Well, the character of Khalid was not a strong character at no, all for a I bad mean, guy or anything like that. What was even the point of that? <laughs> there's, no. there's no reason for him to be chanting his gibberish, and it just, am, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I was almost fully expecting him to be going, Baruch no, you know, getting all the, it's like with what he was saying, it was just like, oh God, don't do this to Jewish people. Please don't. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, it was really, really bad. Exactly. And those blob creatures that mm. they had. They look like a second class Michelin man. Oh, they made the Michelin Man look really good. <laughs> they, uh, they actually kind of reminded me of the antimatter uh, bad guys in the Three Doctors. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, that's what they that's what they kind of reminded me. The and the big, thing? yeah, then the big uh, special effect. No, the plasmatrons. The oh, plas the plasmatrons. Right. Yeah, but they had the bubbles. Cool name for a punk band, eighties. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But they they had the bubbles all over Peter Davison and <laughs> and, Nissa. Uh, and Nissa. It was just like, oh god, yeah. it's poor Sarah Sutton. You know, what's was like. Really? Yeah. I mean, they have a thing for bubbles in 70s and 80s. <laughs> oh, definitely. I'll tell you what, when when they got this script and they sent it over to the special effects for people, like whoever had the, uh, oh, what are those video uh, effect boxes back then called? Um, they used every trick in the box. Oh, the box. chroma keys? No, nah, not chroma keys, but it was something like, oh, man, I wish I could think of the name of it. But um, I want to say anyway, paint box, but I think that's a little later. Yeah, yeah, I don't I think, think so. that's... Um, but anyway, they were using every tool they could. Like, I mean, it, they used models in this, uh, you know, overlapping video effects, split screen, like every little thing they could try um, in this They were one. desperate to help. <laughs> yeah, they really were. I mean, the, um, yeah, the, it's amazing how little of them worked. Well, the problem is, is that it was the last story of the season and right, nobody right, had budget. learned the yeah. lesson yet from... <laughs> You know, the Graham Williams era, that if you're going to do a story that's going to require a lot of special effects and big sets, you do not put it at the very end of the season. Yeah, there's no money. Yeah. No, there was no budget there, obviously. But also, it was just, even like when the TARDIS first materialized at Heathrow, and they just used a still image of it above the runway. Mm. It was just like, uh, really? Yeah, that was really yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. That was really bad. 
At least the TARDIS just didn't pop out of existence. Like it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it did in the last story we reviewed. Yeah. I mean, they could have at least chroma keyed in, you know, a model of it spinning around in circles or something. Yes, anything. I mean, you know. Oh yeah, it, but it was it was just really badly done, mm. and you know it, it, the TARDIS. I don't know what it was, but the the TARDIS itself look, had seen better days. It was dirty. It was awful, and it it was like even the windows. You could tell it was cheap plastic in the windows. It wasn't. Yeah. They weren't even using glass mm. at this point. The production values were terrible. The poor air traffic controller guy sitting in the dark corner all alone. You know, come With on. With one monitor, it was just like, yeah. And there, this one suffers also from, uh, I think, and this was, I think, I find this really prevalent during this era, uh, that there are these high, I, I want to say, I guess I'm doing it a, a, a credit, by calling these high concept, uh, these plots and these these things that they're sort of introducing are these high concepts ideas that really I find very difficult. I don't think they do a great job at at making them relatable to people or or integrating them well into a story or a plot. Like the the concept might be interesting, but it's not executed very well it's in my mind. Um, and 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 sometimes the the concepts are just I don't know if they're just too much too beyond my understanding, or if they're just if they're just crap. They're just dumb. <laughs> they're just a load no, of crap. They're just dumb. <laughs> like like it, like no no this is not some high concept that they took from anything real. They just kind of said hey like let's do this because nobody's gonna know the difference. Well, I mean, in so- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, in some ways, I mean, it's it's the early 80s version of Space Museum from the first Doctor's era and that you have a first episode that does a lot of setting up mystery and atmosphere and expectations that there's going to be something really interesting that's going to happen. And you get around to episodes two, three, and four, and it just turns into a bit of a runaround. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you know, and it, it does get it, you know, some of the stuff is just borderline parroting, you know, Doctor Who parroting itself for that matter. And just good chunks of it just don't make a lick of sense like you know why why is the master dressing up like fu manchu yeah yeah kind of there culturally no insensitive reason. there too to you nice. know that costume. among his many other evils <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well at least that okay all right i'm gonna give i'm gonna give the story just a little tin of credit here because i did i asked the same thing but then once it's revealed that the master crashed in like 140 million years in the in Earth past, and he was trying to figure out he was trying to signal a way out. I could imagine that he wasn't going to beam like, "Hey, everybody, it's the master! Help me! Like, can you help me?" <laughs> they could. So, I mean, there were better ways to do that. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And and to adopt a character like Khalid was not the best move either. But um. Uh, but I could at least understand why he would be disguised. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But all, all the stuff about, like, the psychokinetic fields and and the plasmatrons and the, the plasmatons, sorry, and the and and Nyssa being involved and uh, the Xerophins and this gestalt uh, intelligence 
and a split personality with this intelligence. I was just like, man, they're just compounding. Like they're just not doubling down. They're like quadrupling down on all of this, like, all the you bad know, tropes. creating yeah. like, you know, this induction loop. It's an induction loop up its own butt is what the story is. It's, like, <laughs> it's just it kind of like, <laughs> it was really bad. And That's I don't think I want on the Facebook. Post. <laughs> I don't think they ever touched on those aliens ever again. Did they Matthew? Not that I'm aware of. And you know, and I, Definitely not in big finish, and I have to admit my my knowledge of the novels is not you know as absolute as it is with big finish. But I don't think that uh, the books ever touch upon it either. No, um, it's I like can't imagine the, that there's anything here that I anybody mean, goes. I want to do something with that. Yeah, right. uh, other than maybe sit down and take the basic ideas and do a full fledged remake of it. There was um, the regenerations fan anthology that was done that came out last year which was basically um the idea of the war master the war master good grief the war doctor realizing that somebody is going through his story his past and rewriting history and it's basically an opportunity for people to go and write alternate reality versions of various stories and whoever decided they were going to do the fifth doctor picked time flight as the one they were going to rewrite and i have to say they created an infinitely better version of it in prose running running about 30 pages the uh well okay so in addition with all this going on and all the crap that i mentioned there are at least three items in this story that i did appreciate and one of them you just mentioned, Matthew, when the race, when the Xerophons were talking about regeneration, I was like, ooh, I don't think I've ever heard of another alien race or another race on Doctor Who talk about regeneration, like that they could do it. And I was like, that's pretty cool that there's another species out there that can regenerate like the Time Lords can or like the Gallifreyans can. I thought I like that. I like that idea. Uh, I don't like the, the way that they just threw it in here, but I like the idea. Um, I also like the idea of the Concord disappearing and going into the past and then having to go back and retreat it. I think the the, the first episode, it kind of sets it up and you're like, oh, I'm intrigued by that idea. Mm. Um, uh, and then the third thing that I, I really appreciated was um, when the, after the master appears in the, so in the, he appears at the end of the second episode and at the beginning of the third episode, Right away, you know, the doctor's laughing at how, you know, ignorant the doctor is as far as like being surprised that it's the master's behind this. And, you know, the master looks around and he sees that uh, the doctor is at this point surrounded by uh, what he's got uh, the professor with him and then a couple of the flight crew, right? Captain Stapley and a couple of other people. And, and he says the line, and I love this. This is one of my favorite. Now, this is one of my favorite master lines. He says, how you love the company of fools. And I'm mm-hmm. like, it's so true. Like for everything that we love about the doctor and how cool he is and, you know, how he, you know, does the right thing a lot of times and how he cares, et cetera, et cetera. There is a case to be made that the doctor constantly surrounds himself. Like he likes being the smartest guy in the room. Uh, and he likes being the guy who knows what's going on. Sometimes the only one that's know, that knows what's going on and everybody else is like, what, what's going on? We don't understand. And he's like, don't worry, you know, I, I will, you know, he's it sort of like strokes his own ego in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, and that's why I think I do appreciate Nissa to an extent because she can call him on, like she's, she's smart and she knows what's going on. Unfortunately, a lot of these stories seem to like 
concentrate on taking her out so that she doesn't know what he's doing a lot of times. Well, and also they kept undercutting her here with the whole stupid empath oh. storyline. I mean, mm-hmm. that it did not work at all. I felt in- incredibly sorry for the actress. There was you know? no reason for it at all. No. You know, there was, it's not like she has psychic powers or that, you know, she has, she reaches out to other aliens and stuff. Nowhere in that's this last series since they introduced her and keep her track. And have we ever seen that? No. Nope. Well, there's, there's the bit at the beginning of Kinda where something affects her and causes that to happen, which um, it was also part of the original character brief to an extent after they got Johnny Burns permission to keep featuring the character, they were going to explore that, but nobody ever came in with a good enough story apparently to do that. And it was, it took the early big finish audios actually featuring uh, Nissa with the fifth doctor before anybody got around to that. And if you go back and you listen to, was it land of the dead in particular, basically anything leading up to Lance Parkins primeval, which I think is, right after that first McGann season and that's I think released 23 or 24 they finally started picking up with some of that um but it was something that they had planned on doing but again like I think a lot with the story in general the execution is completely lacking yes I mean it's not it's not that the that they you couldn't do something with the concept it's just that it's way overplayed here exactly and so she basically she's just annoying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, it doesn't contribute to the story. It doesn't no, move no, it along. No, no. In fact, I think it holds it back. <laughs> no, no. Because fortunately, we have Tegan there to show just how annoying a companion can be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, you know, we're down one companion now. We've just gotten rid of Adric, uh, which, you know, that, that, you know, they're really heartbroken about it. The doctor's really heartbroken about that at the beginning. Nope, can't go back. No, no. Nope. Nope. Do not ever back. ask me that, ever. <laughs> nope. Uh, That's the one thing I, I can't guess, do. <laughs> I guess Matthew gets a, can pick up a little bit of a check uh, in this one because, you know, he does pop up. I was like, whoa, there he is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, even though they were down one and they've got two other companions, they still struggle with trying to find something interesting for both of them to keep, to get them busy, to give them something to do. Um, and, and Tegan is just, she is just a third wheel in this and just, she's I mean, so much of a third wheel in this one, dude, they leave her behind Yeah, they yeah. <laughs> and they didn't even notice. Yep. Yep. They just fly off without her. Yeah. I, I was surprised, though, my impression, because I haven't seen a lot from the this era, so uh, my impression was always that after Tegan got taken uh, accidentally uh, and traveled with the doctor, that she was looking for any excuse to go back uh, to her time period and to her regular life. And here she has that opportunity, and she's frankly, she's, she's really adamant about, even though with the effects of Earthshock, She's so adamant about staying with the doctor. She has no interest in 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 going back to her life, um, which I thought was even she even parodies being a stewardess at one point. You know, when she's telling mm-hmm. the crew to like go, you know, to 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 join uh, to to board, they can board the Concord now. At the end, she's she does so in a way that's like, yeah, she this 
this she's over this job (laughs) (laughs) i mean that was there was an explanation for that scripted and they they talk about it a bit in the info text of on the dvd release and on the blu-ray of the season that there was supposed to be an explanation for that peter grimway had gone into a whole thing where they had realized that because she had been gone for months she might potentially be in trouble but also that she had decided that traveling with the doctor was closer to what she had wanted to do to begin with becoming a stewardess and trying to travel the world and for and i have to admit i don't understand the reasoning behind this given that how much of the story is a runaround and there's not much depth to it. That's the thing that Eric Sayward chose to cut when he got around to being the script edit, script <laughs> editing this. That was the bit he decided to cut out of the story. Yeah, it's like oh. they went out of their way to create well, cardboard Janet. characters. must have had yeah. something against Janet that day. I mean, yeah. that's the whole the whole... The biggest problem with this is that there is no characterization at all. It, you don't care about anybody. I'm not even sure I cared about the doctor in this one. You no, just it's, it, it, it's just they're, they mouth their lines knowing that they're terrible. I don't think anybody's even really trying, except the guy who's playing Captain Stapley. Oh, he was awesome. He was, he was the best character good. in this one. Well, I'll give it to Ainley too. I mean, we had, like I said, we just talked about, uh, or we just reviewed um, a third Doctor story with Delgado as the master. What uh, last episode? The episode and here before we are, that one. Oh, I'm sorry, the episode before that one. And I don't know what days are anymore. Um, but um, so here we get Ainley doing his version, and and I have never, I don't think I've ever watched like back to back or relatively back to back. Like their inter- both, you know, their interpretation of the doc of the masters so close together, and there are certainly a lot of similarities. But there are, I mean, you know, Delgado is is wonderful, um, but Ainley is is really good too, and I, I think he is having fun with this. Um, obviously, he's having a blast, uh, you know, as Khalid because that just is is wacky. Um, but uh, his, you know, he's chewing scenery as the master and. His his scenes with the Doctor are the only scenes that are interesting with Peter Davison, in, in my opinion, in this story. I could see that. I yeah. really could see that. The Doctor was very dull. It almost, like, there was one scene where he was, like, sitting at the base of the TARDIS, and he was looking like he was sleeping. I said, oh, he must have read the rest of the script or something. <laughs> <laughs> And it was maybe they won't notice me. <laughs> I did love it though when you know he climbed into the TARDIS when it was sitting on its side, and you know the other two climb in after him, and he pushes a button and re- it arranges itself the gravity and everything. Mm-hmm. And Nissa just goes, or actually it was Nissa or Tegan, I don't even remember. Said, "Oh, I wish we would have known that after Castor Valva." <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, it was just really really interesting uh and you know how the master trapped the pilot and the co-pilot um in the tardis and you know made it hover above the old factory or fortress or whatever it was Mm -hmm. and then looking and you know they were stuck looking down and then the ghost of the professor came and saved the day I thought I thought Stapley and uh, his uh, I don't know if the flight engineer or the first officer that he was with in the TARDIS uh, when they were kind of working against the master there I thought for sure they were going to end up strong I was like they're 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 going to die they're going to they're going to end up strong but they didn't I thought they were really cool they were like a 
I don't know. They should have their own big fitness series or something. Because uh, <laughs> they they were actually um, they were a pretty good double act. Yeah, yeah, they were they were pretty good. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I was hoping the master would shrink at least one person in a spot. Yeah, well, they well, talked about it. Yeah, it say, like he, we found a bunch like of Zerafins. So. He did when he got there, and then he's like, eh, "I'm done." Bored uh, now. Shrinking humans is not really that interesting anymore. But he carries that wand around with him, you know, the whole time. It's like, oh, yeah, Ooh, it feels very threatening, you know, him holding the black stick. Yeah, and I won't say what Judy thought it was when she walked into the room. It's like, why is he holding? But it's just like, it was just, it was just interesting and everything. Anley is amazing. I love Anley as the master. He was awesome, and it's sad that he didn't get to continue into the new series or such. That would have been really awesome to see at least once. Or even him going up against uh, McGann's doctor mm. Mm. would have been pretty darn awesome. <laughs> well, wouldn't yeah. have been worse than what we got. <laughs> I was well, gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us are Eric Robert fans. So. No, yeah, I'm. I'm in two minds about Roberts in the TV movie. I will say, if you haven't heard his uh, heard him in the most recent Big Finish set, that you should you should definitely give it a go. He's they do some interesting stuff with him in that one, and I think he's really kind of coming to the role there. Hmm. Um, I will say, you know, speaking of uh, Ainley and Big Finish, they tried to get him um, for one of the early ones with McCoy dust breeding, and apparently Ainley wanted a wanted a bucket load of money, and he wanted to rewrite the script, and he wow. told him that those were those his two conditions for coming back and playing the part. Wow! Wow! So unsurprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean but it it did for those of us who are big finish fans you know jeffrey beavers who got you know played the master once and keeper of Trocken got brought back in there and he became the big finish master there for a while before they were able to start bringing others in so i mean so you know uh Anley's loss was beavers gain i suppose but mm. i mean i know from listening to colin baker and peter davison and even mccoy at conventions and stuff you know and Ainley loved playing the master. It was the one thing he really was doing in the last few years of his career. If you go look him up on IMDb, his basically his his TV credits throughout the eighties is just him playing the master and watching it. You know, watching Time Flight, for example. You know, it's not hard to see why because he he is having a ball with it. Yeah, I agree yeah, completely. He, it was like uh, you know, um, uh, it was like he was getting as much um, out of it as. as Delgado has when he when you watch him like they're just really good at 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 being uh so bad um and uh the right amount just the right amount of camp I think um and uh and they they elevate the material I mean every time the master speaks it's it's elevated uh and this material is I mean it's not hard to elevate this material but but he he does it uh, whereas some of the others just don't I mean, yeah. including, once he takes the stupid mask off, he's he's becomes one of the yeah. most interesting characters, and certainly more so than the Doctor is. In I was going to say, yeah. including even Davison at times. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's when he's still taking it seriously. I do think starting maybe around King's Demon Five Doctors, and until he comes back at the very end of 
of classic who in survival he does kind of get into kind of pantomime mode he gets a little too camp for my taste but he's Mm. still playing it i think as you say as you say mike with the right amount of camp here he's not quite crossed that threshold just yet right 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 nope that's a good way to put it all right any other thoughts before we go ahead and review this masterpiece (laughs) okay one out of five tortoises, one being the worst, five being the best. Matthew, what I'm about actu- it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually going to give it, I think, a two, actually. I, I'm going to admit this one is, slightly, is a slight guilty pleasure for me um, as one to go back and watch if I'm having a bad day or something. Um, it's one I'll go to. And, you know, as I said, it's early 80 who's equivalent of space museum from the first doctor era it's got a very good first episode setting up a lot of stuff and it just never quite delivers on it because for reasons beyond my understanding as a budding writer they turn it into a runaround instead of actually doing a story with it um you know it's not the greatest doctor who story ever made but it's not the worst doctor who story ever made and it's it's got some stuff in it that works you know i love all the stuff with the concord i love that first episode i can live with the other three a little less but you know it's not it's not the worst doctor who story ever made okay that's matthews it's not the worst doctor who story <laughs> ever made all right mikey um i'll agree with that it's not the worst doctor who story <laughs> ever made um but that's what they're I, gonna put on the new box of it it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not the worst. worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> um i am really trying hard to figure out uh like a way like some way to like give it more than like one and a half um uh but i i can't so um I, i'm just gonna leave it there um uh yeah, with one and a half. I just, I don't, I, I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, have anybody watch this as their first encounter with Doctor Who. Oh, no. Oh, God. No, 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 that would God, also be no, their last no, encounter no. with Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, exactly. Their first and last. That's like um, showing them a, a, you know, Pip and Jane Baker story for <laughs> yeah. No. Or, um, or as I kept running into with Modern Who, every time somebody tried to tune into it on BBC America, you know, they, they would tune into Planet of the Dead and people were like, how do you like this show? And it's like, why did you watch that one? I mean, I guess that I, I can say that there's nothing in here that like I would find like, you know, offensive or well, close to there's some there's some close calls there. But um, yeah, it's just yeah, it's not great. And um, I think it shows that this is the final serial of that season because it seems like everybody is just exhausted and just going through the motions here. That's a good way to put it. That's a great, great way. All right, Mary. I think I'm also going to give it a one and a half. And I don't know, I might have been kinder and given it a two, maybe. But but the music alone, I have to subtract Ooh, half a point oh. because it is bad. It is just the epitome of bad 80s Doctor Who music. So, and uh, there's just not a lot of redeeming qualities here. Um yeah, I would really, t- I tell people to skip this one. <laughs> you know? I mean, there really isn't much of a reason to watch it. Even Peter Davidson looks bored and like he can't wait to get out of this. 
So yeah, I don't think I can give it much more than one and a half. As far as the ongoing story, though, you, I mean, it does have a. It has you know the sort of um, epilogue to Adric's death at the beginning, and then Such of course with, <laughs> yeah. with Tegan with Tegan being left behind, that leads into the next one. So you know, watch the first like ten minutes, and then the last <laughs> five the minutes. Last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And enjoy I mean, losing Edric again, and then enjoy losing Tegan. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, eighty-two wouldn't make, wouldn't follow up a great story with a with a less than great one this badly until Case of Androzani was followed by Twin Dilemma. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. yes, you know what? Oh. I, I concur with that. That's a that's a yeah, very, that's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah, very apt comparison. That is actually a great way to put it. All right, my rating. I've been debating on this one. I really, really was. You know, I used to say I will never give Doctor Who under a three because even bad Doctor Who is better than some other things on TV. But then we watched this one. (laughs) And I'm going to give it probably a two and a half. And the only reason I'm giving it a two and a half is for the Concord in memory, you know. It gets that half an homage to the concord, to, to a great vessel. Yes. Exactly, yeah. And you know, there was no way of explaining why you know when the bad guy collapses and all this green goo starts coming out of his face and everything, and then all of a sudden the master rips off the. It's the master. It's like, did, did the master have all this? green goo in him or something no. yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly it was an illusion <laughs> it just it just didn't it didn't make sense and there's just so many plot holes you could fly a concord through this one really mm-hmm. easily and you know please you know take it this with a grain of salt folks it is not a good episode it really is not but you know there's some great episodes following this one and, you know, we get into some great, great stories with, you know, when you get into Arc of Infinity, um, you get into, you know, the whole Margarine Undead and, you know, the Brigadier comes back. And, you know, it's pretty awesome, the the next, you know, 20th anniversary compared to what we witnessed here. So stick with it. If you're into the, want to learn more about the f- Fifth Doctor, these are decent episodes. And the Fifth Doctor continuously does get better as it goes along the Dalek story that they do later. And then of course, you know what the, how they end it with caves of Androzani is just awesome and everything. It's probably my favorite Peter Davison episode. So oh, it's definitely mine. It's too bad. It came at the end because that mm-hmm. one's actually a good episode. Mm-hmm. No, a lot of people have voted it some t- in the best of his era help best of the eighties. Dr. Who. Now let's just say the big 2009 DWM poll. It was the name, the best Doctor Who story of all time at one point. So yeah, it is. It is a great, great story. So definitely stick with this, folks. You know, you know. Then six Doctor comes away, and you know, you might just run. So we'll have to. You know, it's a whole another story for another yeah. time, though. Along with but, most of the British public. Oh yeah, uh, join us back again next time. We are going to the 10th Doctor era, and we are going to, you know, of course, we haven't done a Cybermen story in a little bit, so we thought it'd be kind of cool to do Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel, the two-parter, 
And it's actually, you know, this is, I feel like, when Mickey comes into his own. And it's a great, great story. It is a really awesome story. And it's a parallel Earth with the Doctor. So it's pretty cool. Definitely worth checking out. So on behalf of myself, Mike Faber, let's thank everyone else who's been here tonight. Mary Ogle, thank you as always. Oh, thank you. At least I'm sort of <laughs> making me watch Time Flight again. But it's I will always never, fun I will to never talk to make you, guys. you watch this one. I will never <laughs> ever make you watch this one again. Anything you want to shout out about? You can uh, find my artwork at maryogle.com. And oh, and I have a I have a novel coming out this year. It, it probably, I love the cover. I love the cover. Thank you. Thank you. In a couple of months. Um, but if you would like more information, just go to maryogle.com and sign up for my newsletter, and I will let you know when it's released. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. And Mr. Mike Gordon. As always, it's my pleasure. Even when we watch bad ones, it's always fun to talk to you guys about it. Oh, very much so. And Matthew, thank you for sitting in with us tonight. Oh, thank you. As I said, this one's always a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. So, you know, it's not the greatest story ever made, but it's always kind of nice to go back and revisit it at the same time. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, Do you want to promote your stuff real quick? Um, I, uh, have some new short fiction out. If you want to read something of mine that is free, I recently did a alternate history story, uh, set at a Doctor Who convention asking what might have happened if Doctor Who had been made as an anime in the 1980s. So you can check that out at vocal.media slash futurism slash 1 p.m. dash panel. And as I said at the uh, top of things, if you want to read more of my reviews about who and also Apple TV series for all mankind, uh, you can check me out on warpfactor.com. And he also posts up in the ESO Network Facebook group. Indeed I do. Exactly. And thank you. Thank you for that. We always do appreciate it. Of course, we appreciate you guys at home so, so much. Please, folks, please take care of yourselves. We love that you guys come back. We love that you guys are listening. And, of course, in this dead time of Doctor Who, we are going to continue trudging through. I think in a couple weeks we actually have a Facebook Live coming up again. So it would be great to get folks involved with that. Definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstationwho.com. And if you are new to the show, thank you as always. And please subscribe to us wherever fine podcasts are found. You know, we're even there, as we like to say, on the other show. So please, you know, definitely check us out. On behalf of us all here at Earth Station Who, we will see you next time. Peace. And we are done. Boom. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Shalom, ding dong. You have been listening to Earth Station Who, a bi-weekly pop culture podcast dedicated to all things Doctor Who, featuring talents from across the universe. All topics on the show are the sole opinions of the individual and are used for entertainment value alone. You subscribe to our podcast up on iTunes, Stitcher, or follow our blog at www.esopodcast.com. You can also follow us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+. If you enjoyed the show, please leave feedback up on iTunes.
We are the Air Station One Podcast, and we approve this message. Hey, I'm Judy, and I've been a listener of Earth Station One for over 10 years. Yeah, every day while Mike edited together over 550 episodes, you know all that geek-themed blah, blah, blah. I've listened so much that now I hear howdy in my sleep. You, too, can enjoy all the Earth Station One fun wherever fine podcasts are found. Okay, Mike, I did this for you. Are we going to get another dog now? The Earth Station One podcast. Over 10 years for geeks by geeks. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.